Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. So this must be gratifying, the response the film has been receiving so far. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. It's <laughs> really, really exciting. Thank you for that. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, we did a lot of work, so it's, it's exciting when people you know, enjoy the film and accept it for what it is. And it's, 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 it's exciting. <laughs> that was a very uh, <laughs> profound... <laughs> Um, Kevin, I want to ask you just how you sort out um, the f question about fiction versus reality. It's, this is based on a book that's not that's a novel, but based on some true events. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's an unusual kind of blend of fact and fiction for for movies, but it's the kind of thing that's done all the time in in, in literary fiction. And you know, thinking of Don DeLillo or or E.L. Doctorow, those kind of people who have real characters uh, in their fiction. And 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 in this instance. We've actually moved quite a long way from the novel. There's only one or two scenes in the film that are in the novel. But what we what we loved was this this central relationship between the doctor and the Ugandan dictator. Um, so unlikely, so strange, but so uh, so much affection in it. Um, weirdly, mm -hmm. and so we took that as the basis from the novel, and then we went back quite a lot to history, and we looked at. Um, Amin's rise to power, what the real reaction had been in the country, um, and tried to you know, make an educated guess as to what had been going on in his mind. And then the, the, the character of Garrigan is quite different than the, the character in, in the novel. The character in the novel is somebody who was described to me uh, by the novelist as Hamlet. And of course, Hamlet is a, you know, about the worst possible protagonist for a movie you can ever imagine, because <laughs> uh, he doesn't do anything. So he's... The, 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 uh, <laughs> The, so the Dr. Garrigan figure is, is very much a, a kind of an, an invention of myself and, and Peter Morgan, the, the, the first screenwriter on the project. And could you tell us how you, both of you became involved, James, starting with you, just how you first heard about the project and then your reaction to the script? Um, really conventionally, in, in a very dull fashion, I get called uh, by <laughs> Kevin and I was bored to tears. No, um, and I decided uh, to, uh, to read it, and, and I came in for an audition at some point in the process. It, it took about a year, though, didn't it? Like, from first point of contact to, to actually making we, it. We had quite a lot of trouble, uh, so not raising the money exactly, but convincing the people who were committed to making the film, but convincing them that they were committed to making the <laughs> film. Uh, and uh, and so it took a long time from the first time I met I met James and slightly less time from when it, the first time I met Forrest, but still quite a long time before it actually took off. It's really strange. I I always thought they met you first. I can't imagine this film without you, and, and I I'm so shocked to hear that you met me first. I heard that last night, by the way, but <laughs> I just thought I'd tell him that now. And um, no, I had read that you had in mind Forrest in the very beginning, and it's sort of hard. It's hard to think of anybody else doing this. But could you? Well, it was a slightly. I'll I butt in there because it's slightly. It's slightly different. <laughs> the reality is actually rather different than that, and, I, and I've been had to be embarrassed to admit that recently. That the, the producers on the film, there was a previous incarnation of this project, and they had, Andrea and Lisa, the producers, had um, had always thought that Forrest was perfect casting, and. 
when I got involved and we started again from scratch and the script and whatever, I wasn't so sure. <laughs> and and it was only when I met with when I when I met with him that I realised that that um, uh, that he was. And of course, in retrospect, now it's it's difficult to imagine anybody else in the world doing the part. Could you share with us why you were not so sure? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, 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 this is my first. It's my first time working with actors, and um, I had, a, I guess, a particular. I'd seen a lot of Forrest's work. I admired his work, um, but I'd never seen him do anything like this. And the part requires, as you've seen, great explosiveness and anger, and to be terrifying. And those were not qualities that I associated with the performances I'd seen of Forrest's previously. That they, that they were um, gentler. Mm-hmm. more thoughtful internal characters that he had played and i guess maybe somebody a more experienced director would have seen that uh, would have seen beyond that super, that superficial you know disagreement there but uh, but i didn't and it took me meeting forrest and hearing him talking about the character and also uh, doing a scene and and showing how it could possibly be done that that uh, to make me realize that he was the man born to play this part so now, from your point of view, how did, how did you get involved in the film, and how did you... This <laughs> is like, like uh, deja vu, because we were joking about this last night. Uh, so no, humiliation, uh, <laughs> public humiliation of the no, director. It's not, no, no, he's right. I mean, Andrea, Andrea uh, Collywood and uh, Lisa Breyer brought the book to me. Uh, probably about five or, I don't know, five or six years ago, but the project went away, and it fell apart, and I was on to doing other things. I wasn't involved, and then... Uh, but uh, a year and a half ago, I met with Kevin because Kevin Kevin became the director of the project, and then uh, you know he had he had uh, certain doubts, and then we met, and and now I have the part. Okay. <laughs> and and um, one of the great things about the film is that you f- that you filmed it in in Uganda, which um, does not have much history with film production, and I don't know if if um, it was easy getting that. I mean, convincing. I guess the officials there. I mean, this is a very sensitive topic, I'm sure, uh, to them. Yeah, it was because obviously the um, it was hard to convince the the financiers in a way more than it was to convince the um, the Ugandans because uh, it's much cheaper and much easier to film in South Africa, which is generally where most African-based films are, are, are shot. But when I went to Uganda and I saw how different it was to South Africa and how uh, uh, how how what a wonderful country it was, and how how interesting the architecture was in the cities, and how beautiful the landscape was. I thought we have to film it here, and also we're going to be surrounded all the time by people who know this story, who know about Amin and and his regime, and so that's going to give the film a flavour that it wouldn't otherwise have. And being a documentary maker, all of that, you know, taking the audience to a different world, and was important to me, and making it feel very specific and cu- culturally specific. Um, but persuading the Ugandans was um, not as hard as I thought it would be. We 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 we, um, we arranged to have a meeting with the president of, of Uganda, and um, we told him what we wanted to do. We told him the, the the aims of the film, and he said, "This, you know, it's important not only for the world to know this story, but also for young Ugandans to know about." I mean, and uh, you know, we have to we have to learn from our past in order to move forward into the future. And so they gave us every 
help that we could possibly have had. They opened up the Parliament buildings to us. We filmed in the Parliament while they were in session below us mm. in a very co important constitutional debate. They, they let us have the use of the army. They, they let us film in their aircraft hangars with their MiG jets. They let us do all sorts of all sorts of stuff. Um, never got in our way. Never tried to censor us. Um, never tried to impose, you know, what what the film should be or or, or, or shouldn't be. And and. And it was a, it was a great experience. I think all around. I think we all really loved being there and loved the, loved the place and loved the people. And um, in terms of preparing for the role, I mean, you had footage of Edie. I mean, to look at uh, there's the Barbara Schroeder documentary. I don't know if you saw that film or if oh, you yeah, saw no, there. I looked at it. So what was it times. like, sort of working with a somebody who was larger than life, who really existed? And um, I mean, I, I, there was that was one of the tapes, and it was a lot. Of, there's a lot of footage of, of Idi Amin because he was a showman, and he had a lot of press come, and so I had uh, access to a lot of it, and a lot of the um, audio cassettes of him talking and speeches in different languages, and and um, and then I started trying to learn uh, the language Kiswahili and and the dialect, and then I went to Uganda and and uh, started to meet with people who knew him, his you know his ministers, his brothers, his sisters, and it just started to grow, and I, it was from that that uh, I started to finally process at least what I was thinking that he, he was feeling. Hmm. You seem so nice in person. How was it like? <laughs> what was it like for you playing these? Uh, this is the best performance right now, let me tell you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh we're seeing the real him on film. Okay. <laughs> um, as you were working on the film and making it in Uganda, what, was, what were people... What were their reactions and memories of Idi Amin? I mean, I'm sure everybody you mm. met had had responses. I mean, it's, it's very recent history. People were, uh, I think they fall into you know two or three camps. So there are people who absolutely loathe the idea of him and 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 who are 100% negative about him. And that's probably 10% of the people you meet. And in the opposite extreme, there's probably 10% who will say he's the best leader Uganda ever had, and and he didn't do a thing wrong in their eyes. Um, and the, but the most people lie somewhere in the middle, and they they have a sort of uh, a kind of dualistic v vision of him, and that they see the the positive sides. They see that um, he primarily, I think, gave Ugandans a sense of themselves and a sense of pride in themselves, and they're kind of proud of him also because he became such a figure on the world stage. He was this, this enormously famous kind of semi-mythic figure, obviously, all over the world. And there's a certain pride in that. Um, but on the other hand, people will say, of course, you know, he, 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 he murdered, you know, this whole group of the population, or he killed my uncle, he killed my cousin, killed my father. Um, and we were surrounded by people talking about this the whole time. Um, and surrounded by people who also had, had come into contact with him. You know, we, as Forrest said, he met a lot of the sort of friends and family and ministers and whatever. And, and um, there were people working on the film day to day who had had encounters uh, with him themselves. And all, usually those encounters, would, when they recounted them, would begin with a joke. They'd begin with saying, oh, he was so funny. You know, I mean, when he did this, he, he was hilarious. And then they'd say, well, we were terrified of him and, and, and you know, he killed my, my auntie or something. So there's very... A, 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 a mixed perception of him. And could you talk a bit about the filmmaking style, maybe both you and also the actors, because it has um, a flavor of documentary, and I guess you used a cinematographer who made dogma films, worked with Lars von Trier. Um, could you talk a bit about your approach in terms of what the filming was like? Yeah. Well, the, 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 um, 
we needed to take a documentary sort a kind of a documentary approach because we didn't have we weren't a big big production you know and we 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 needed to um make use of what was around us and make use of of um the spontaneous and of accidents in a sense which is what coming from documentary I like you know little things that go wrong that are actually better than what you expected to, to happen and we we shot the film mostly on 16 millimeter, and that way we could film with two cameras a lot of the time. So we could have one camera just picking off little moments, seeing little details, and the other camera doing a kind of more classical kind of coverage. We chose to 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 uh, uh, to have a very a kind of strong color journey through the film, so that we start very much in one place and end somewhere completely different in terms of the palette of the colors. So it hopefully has a kind of expressionistic quality to to that aspect of the movie. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe James and Forrest can add something to that. Because the fact that he shot in Uganda allowed us to be in all these places, and I think it really helped me. I mean, this is the car that was Idi Amin's car. This is the plantation that he grew up with as a kid. I met elders there who talked to me about his youth and his childhood. I mean, all of these events, all these places were, were real and present. And for me, you, you do gain something from the, the energy of a place, the vibration of a place, from the people, from the walls, from the, and I think that 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 is a documentary filmmaking in its own too. The truth of those places, you know. Yeah. And you had a, a consultant. Is that true? Sort of a Ugandan, um, a, a playwright who was a consultant who helped with the di- things like dialect and. Well, we, had, we there were two people really helping helping with that. We had a playwright called Charles Malekwa, who um, has, had been studying for a while here, at, I think, at Brown University doing a postdoctorate in theatre studies, and uh, he helped me specifically a lot. So he, he um, uh, was really the first Ugandan to read the script and to give his opinion of it, and, and he worked with me on the dialogue a little bit. And also every day he was on set to be able to say, you know, no, 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 they wouldn't ever do that, or, you know, suggest other things, other names for people. I remember one particular instance was... The, the names of the two kind of good time girls, the two kind of prostitutes at the party, and I think originally they were sort of Sarah and Joan or something. And he said, no, 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 no. In the 70s in Uganda, those girls would be called Betty and Joy. And I thought, <laughs> I thought Betty and Joy were two such <laughs> fantastic names for these girls, so we changed it to that. So he was full of all those kinds of things. Um, <laughs> not that he had first-hand knowledge, I'm sure. I don't know. Uh, uh, and then, but then Forrest also had somebody who worked specifically with him, who was a, a local actor, who uh, helped him with his specifically with his dialogue and with uh, accent, etc. Yeah, I mean Daniel Sateba, who, who uh, I, I hired to help assist me, and, and uh, he re- he really uh, not only helped me with the dialect, but he he brought me in, into Uganda. I mean, he really started to try to teach me the, the customs and the place and the people and the way people live and eat and deal with their children. He really is deeply responsible for a lot of the work that I did. Okay. So I'll open it up. I'll take some questions from the audience, and I'll, I'll repeat the questions so everybody can hear. Okay, right down in front. Okay, what were your most memorable moments on the set? <laughs> uh, I suppose my most memorable moment on the set was the, the one that I can't remember, in that uh, it was the torture. It was the I shouldn't call it a torture scene, it was, but it was the bit where I got hung up and I and I passed out on the very first take, and it was it was the day of the London bombings. I don't know if you guys know exactly when that was, but um, and we were all it was a very panicked day. A lot of people were very upset. We couldn't get in touch with the families. Mobile phone networks were down, and we had to shoot this horrific scene. 
and um, you know we just had to plough on because it was a relentless shoot and it was we just get it done. We didn't have a lot of money and we certainly didn't have a lot of time. And as Kevin has just told me, the last reel of the film, last 15 minutes, mm. was done in like a six-day period, so it's a hell of a lot. Um, and we just had to get it shot. In the very first take, I just blacked out straight away, and I'm hanging from, from these wires, just like dangling. We and all no thought the wires had gone, the hooks had gone in the wrong place, actually. Yeah, and but the weirdest thing is nobody <laughs> ran in immediately to help me because they thought they thought I might be doing some crazy maverick acting, and <laughs> and um, uh, and I was just gone, and I was in shock for the rest of that day. So that day was the most vivid memory I have. But. There's a big 20-second section where there's no memory at all. But Sean Penn is also playing... Uh, um, he's playing Huey Long or Willie Stark in All the King's Men, which has some similarities. But could you... Anyhow, could you have imagined your career coming to this point? No, I, I don't think so. You know, because at the time I was... Uh, I was thinking I might go and do, do, do theater, you know? I, I really didn't like my work. Because me and Sean... I remember because Sean was... Uh, I had went to school up north because I didn't want to act anymore on film. I was scared that I wasn't good enough to be put on film and it's permanent, you know. And uh, I came back to do some reshoots on Fast Times. I had to come back and Sean was like, you know, I'm about to do this movie, Bad Boys. You know, there's this part, you know, and I was like, nah, I'm, I'm just not ready for that. So at that time, I really, really didn't feel, I wasn't sure if I would even be able to keep going in this career. I wasn't sure I would be able to to be able to do it in a way that was good enough for me to feel comfortable with my work. So I went back to school, I went back up north, and, and uh, luckily it's still, still later I was able to work uh, and film more. You're kind of modest. I mean, you let, the list of directors who want to, who have worked with you, you've worked with some amazing filmmakers. I mean, you've no, I've been really, yeah. I've been really lucky. But I yeah. mean, I, I, at that time, that question yeah. at that time, yeah. I think, I think uh, Sean, I, I'm, who I really respect and really yeah. like as a person. I mean, I think, I mean, he he, he had a, a deeper clarity about his work at that time than I did. You know, I was playing a football player in fast time. I was a football player in college. You know what I mean? I mean, people were not taking me seriously, really. I didn't really take myself that seriously. I, I mean, by that, I mean, I didn't think my work was really that good. You know, not that I wasn't trying to make it good. Mm. And I think that he, he had a deeper clarity at that moment. And, and, and we were at about the same age, mm. you know. Okay, in the back, over there. As I said earlier, it's inspired by a novel, um, but the novel itself is inspired by some real individuals, and there are various individuals who we've taken something from. Um, there was a Scottish doctor that Amin had um, for a short time, actually, I think about 18 months at the beginning of his regime, but these things didn't happen to him. Uh, there was also a Ugandan doctor who had an affair with Kay Amin, the wife, and uh, who she became pregnant by, and there was an abortion that failed. And then there was probably closest of all, there was another man who was actually English who became Amin's closest advisor and was his white monkey, mm -hmm. as, he was as he was called. And he, uh, he started off an interesting, similar kind of moral journey to the doctor in this, that he, he started off as someone who was quite idealistic and supportive of Amin as a, a proud African politician who wanted to rid Uganda of the colonial influence, but who ended up, you know, with his hands covered in blood, really. He was the kind of guy who was like, 
uh, in India. He was in. He was a. He was a corporal, I think he was, uh, in the British Army. And you know, he got put in in prison for handing out anti-imperialist leaflets. So I mean, a real idealist in the in the this in the form that some people might say. I don't believe that, that people are that idealistic and then can do such bad things or whatever. Well, he was one of those guys. He started off what you a textbook good guy, you know. Ended up becoming the kind of guy that could make people disappear. It seems. So that's it's inspired by rather than the factual events. Everything to do with Amin in the film is true. The the depiction of Amin is is accurate as far as you know it can be in a in a biographical film to who Amin was. So that that's 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 factual. Entebbe is factual. All these things are factual. He did have these wives, etc., etc. The the what I was trying to say earlier on, right at the beginning, is that, that it's that is that we have then inserted a fictional character or a character who is inspired by these various people I was just saying into that into that world. And we did have a lot of debates about what should what should it say at the front of the film. And it's very difficult to, because it's quite a complicated situation as I'm describing it, where you have a, a world that is real as depicted and a and, and and a character like Amin who is real as depicted, but you then also have the other other central character who is at a second remove from reality, so it's not that's not an easy thing to explain in a caption. We tried to have something which which uh, wasn't just you know based on a true story or whatever. It says this film was inspired by real people and real events, which I think is is accurate. Okay, was it interesting? It, it, hard to convince the industry that you can make a fiction film. Um, it was. Not hard to convince them they could make a fiction film, but I think it's it's all to do with the uh, it's all to do with the money and to the amount of the amount of the budget that somebody's willing to give you. If this film would cost five million pounds, I think like eight or nine million dollars, and that, and in the independent film world, that's quite a lot of money. And so to get, but for to do this film, it wasn't a lot of money. So um, it's more to do with that. Oh, did Idi Amin really refer to himself as the last he, king he of offered, Scotland? He offered to become the last king of Scotland so that he could liberate Scotland from under the heel of English imperialism as he had done in Uganda. That was actually what he He's one of the he titles. He's a, he gave himself many titles and it goes on from a paragraph, but in his, in his, in his career, in his reign, he did, he did say that too. Hmm. As I said, the way that he is portrayed is very, is very much accurate. All the, 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 the fetish for Scotland, the kilts, the, all of this, this is... All, all real. Okay, what are your hopes uh, 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 for this movie reaching a wide audience? Uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a hard one for me to say. I have no idea whether there's an audience for this film. I hope there is, and I've seen now, you know, I've seen audiences respond to it. We've taken it to a couple of festivals, to Toronto and to Telluride. I mean, you are actually the first people who have paid money to see it, so... <laughs> so triply thank you for that. Uh, uh, I think you're yeah, the, the, the first people in the entire world to pay money. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I think if 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 I hope that if there's if audiences enjoy it, then that means that they will tell other people that it's good and that people will go to see it. I recognise it's hard, however, because um, you know there's so many movies in the marketplace, and the, a movie about a man who ruled a, a small African state 30 years ago and his friendship with a Scottish doctor is maybe not going to be top of everybody's list, but who I don't, I don't know. I'm not the one to answer that, I suppose. Well, I, I'd actually I wanted to make a film in Africa, 
and mm. this was actually the second thing I tried. I tried something else before before this, which didn't work out because I couldn't get the script right. And um, and then the, the producers, Andrew and Lisa, phoned me up and said, "We've got this book." And do you know it? And I said, strangely, I, I read this book when I used to work in publishing. I worked at the publishing house that published it, and I read it in manuscript. So I thought, well, that's obviously something there that's meant to be. So and I was always just a, a, attracted by that central relationship. And I don't know. It's always hard to say what it is about something that that resonates within you. And you think, well, maybe it only resonates for me, but but you know, maybe it'll also resonate for other people. And I kind of believe that. If you're a filmmaker, you shouldn't really interpret it. You're, you know, what are, what are the things that are important in the film? I don't, I don't know. I, I you know, I don't try and rationalize it too much. Uh, Forrest, I did want to ask you. Uh, Kevin said you hadn't really played a, a character quite like this, and you really capture the sort of intoxication of somebody's rise to power and and so many different um, emotions. I'm just wondering, like, what it was like having gone through that. What playing this character felt like for you as an actor, and what you got out of it. Because as I started to acquire the character, it became, he became so passionate about different things. And his strength, it's a very empowering feeling, actually. Yeah. You know, I mean, just the first time I remember walking out to the, to the hospital and I was wearing the, the uniform for the first time, it's, it, was, it was an unusual feeling. People's reaction, because they're used to uh, uh, Idi Amin, they know him, was so strong yeah. that immediately you sort of fall into that, to that energy. You even walked differently when you were, when you were in costume, and I think and I remember that noticing that on the first day when you came on and you were mm. bearing yourself in a completely different manner than you do normally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a very complex performance, which I agree. And what did you take from your research about the real Amin to like get, make the character interesting and complex instead of just one-sided? I, mean, I I was trying to to to, to decide how I felt about everyone, everything. Uh, the more I defined that, the more I would define how I felt about this person, how I felt about this food, these clothes, this, the more um, human I believe he becomes. Because it's very simple, I mean it's simple, even though you don't know someone and they walk into a room and, they, and you watch them and they decide to sit in that chair as opposed to this one, you watch them make that decision, you take a cold shower and all of a sudden the person starts to define himself. And I was making those definitions very uh, slowly. I mean, I also, I think there's certain things about him that help me be guided to his spirit, too, because uh, the way he speaks, the way, the timbre of his voice, if you speak differently, you know, you immediately feel differently. If you move your hands differently, you feel differently. And then, like, when you put those things together with making these decisions and you, and you say it's okay to truly care about something completely with your whole being, because ultimately I, I knew that he was a soldier and I knew that was really one of the most important things about him. But I wanted to define it more specifically. Which of my soldiers I like the best? Which one's from my tribe? Which one's this? And once I start to do that, I don't think as long as it's honest and in my heart, I don't think it can become a caricature. I, don't, I think if I really believe it in my mind and my spirit, that he can be as big as, 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 he, as he needs to be. I wasn't purposely trying to be gigantuan or anything. But if I feel it and I believe it, then he's not going to walk into that area. He's not going to. You're not going to say, "Oh, that's false. That's false." You know, that's. And, and just on a related note, chance, if you could talk about, because you play a character who's very interesting too, who's, who aids in 
some of the evil things that go on, and, you're, and the intentions are good, but it's a very complicated um, character in terms yeah. of how we feel about him. Yeah, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> it's a very, it's a complicated character. It was, he's us. He's the West in this film, and that's if there's any criticisms, the only criticism that somebody has said to me is that you know, oh, it's a white man in Africa movie, and actually, well, it is, but it's the antidote to all the white men in Africa movies because the white man in this particular movie is not heroic. He's he is us. He does re- represent the West, but he's he's self-serving. He's egotistical. He's vain and he's selfish, and and he's that from the very beginning, and it was clear. It was clear, Kevin and I were very clear from the very uh, outset that that we had to walk a very fine line between. Undoubtedly, we had to carry the audience through the film with Na- Nicholas because he's the eyes of the film. We see we see I mean through through his eyes. And whilst Forrest's performance is amazing, there's bits where you would have gone to sleep had you not gone with Nicholas. And um, and. So you had to be you had to be sympathetic enough to him. You had to go with him a little bit, but at the same time trying to make him negative. He's not a hero. He's he's a, you know he's he's not an upstanding. He's not a, an example of what we should be. You know, um, and that was that was that was the most difficult task I think in playing Nicholas, walking that line of bad guy, good guy. And he, he's not an evil person. Don't get me wrong, but he's just selfish the whole time. And he loves himself far more than he loves the world. But he's like a lot of people. I mean, he's like yeah, that's that's he's what us. that's what hopefully we can all kind of relate in a little bit to the experience we've had in our lives, where we've kind of you know done something that's maybe not quite right because we admire somebody, uh, you know, somebody who's more powerful than us. We wanted to get close to them. We wanted them to like us. So we do something that's maybe maybe we don't feel great about it in in retrospect. And I think in small ways we've all kind of. We've all we've all been there, and that was the idea, just to take that notion a bit further. And when you're a 25 year old guy, fresh out of college, you don't experience the world. I think you can forgive a lot more of that character than you can of somebody who's, you know, 40 and has lived a bit. So how do you manage a sort of balancing act where you where you keep such a complex, interesting uh, portrayal of these characters, where it's not clear? Well, the only thing I, the only thing I, I I would add to what I said before was that I think the the I mean we did work together quite a lot beforehand. But for me, it was always I wanted the audience to be in the shoes of Garrigan. I wanted the audience to love Amin when he first appears on screen and be desperate for him to come back because he's so charismatic, so fun to be around. So that the the audience then, when they start when things start to they start to see oh this can't all this is all a bit good, too good to be true, they're a bit like the McAvoy, the, McAvoy, the, the James character, um, where where uh, they <laughs> where they where, they, where, where you know the, the audience don't want to see the bad side in Amin because they're enjoying themselves with him too much. So they kind of go into that denial in a way, uh, uh, in the same time as, as as his character does. I don't know if that makes sense. But I wanted I wanted I wanted the audience to feel complicit so that when when he starts being really mean two-thirds of the way through, you feel guilty for having enjoyed him and for having laughed with him and at him earlier on. Yeah. I, also, he does... He, I don't know, I think Amin does to Garrigan what Amin does to the audience, hopefully, I think, and in that he empowers you through feeling good about yourself, you know? Except that's what he certainly does with Nicholas, but he, he empowers the audience as well, so that when you... When you... When you, when you start to not go with him... 
you you questioned yourself because you went with him in a, in one instance, you know, and and that's and that's the that's the important thing about Garrigan as well is that seen as he is your only representative in this film, I suppose Junju is a bit of a representative of the audience, an idealised higher self as well, but um, but seen as he is your representative, it's important that the last 15 minutes, I think anyway, I know a lot of people disagree with me, but the last 15 minutes is so punishing, you know. Because I feel like I felt when I first watched it, I felt like as an audience member, I was being personally punished for liking this film. <laughs> you know, I think that's, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> did you did you walk around in character all, all day long on set? Uh, I mean, I, 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 I stayed in the energy of the character. Okay. You know, I, I wasn't always like I wasn't like running around commanding things. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if any of you win any awards, remember it started here tonight. So um, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.